It's an honor to have Drew Bax come to The Antidote. Thanks for joining us, Drew. Thank you for having me. You've been in the hip-hop game for quite a while, but when did it begin? Um, well, like you said, I've been, um, I've been doing it for quite a while, but I would say 2013 is when I really started to make a big push as far as trying to get the music out there, trying to reach a, a, a broader amount of people with you know, what I have to say. And yeah, since then, it's been it's pretty, pretty steadily going uphill. So what 2013 just meant you wanted to become more serious about what you were doing? Exactly. But I've been I've been doing music since I was a kid. I mean, you know, that that's how it is for, for most creatives. They they started young. But twenty thirteen is when I really said, Okay, let me actually really apply myself and try to get out there. You're based in Toronto, Drew, and that's considered to be one of the most multicultural cities in the world. Yep. But does that multiculturalism find its way into the Toronto hip hop scene? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, um, as far as like uh, myself, I come from a Caribbean background. My father's Jamaican, mother's Trinidadian. And, uh, but even aside from that, just I'm around a lot of people from different cultures, uh, a lot of Africans. Um, as a matter of fact, the label that I was uh, part of, Role Model Records, it was run by people of Nigerian descent. And, you know, I got to be around that culture a lot. And all of that does play into the music in some way, just, uh, you know, whether it's sonically or just using some of the slang or the lingo. So definitely, definitely plays into the music. I think people that haven't lived in Toronto just have no realization of what multiculturalism really is all about. Because, I mean, it's just crazy there. Yep, for sure. What was it like for you growing up in Toronto? It was great, man. I mean, uh, like I said, just being around so many different cultures. Like, one thing I like to do is show people a picture of my uh, grade two class because you see people from all over the world. Like all kinds of different hues and, and just complexions. You can see people from different cultures. It's crazy. So it was definitely something that I think I probably took for granted. But then when I started traveling more and realizing, even in the States, and realizing that there's a lot of segregation and people are kind of sectioned off, I really appreciated Toronto more because it's not like that here. People people do keep their culture, but you know, for the most part, we all get along. It's beautiful. You do bring up your past, and you even share about the death of your mother on the yep. song Lessons in Time. Yes. How did her passing away shape you? Well, um, I mean, before her passing, she she raised me as a single mom for, for the first seven years of my life. And it's so important. I know they say the years before five last the rest of their lives. That that's In my case, that's definitely been proven to be true because she planted just like Christ in my life. You know, she led by example. She got baptized actually right before she died, and that that had a huge impact on me. Um, to the point where after, when I went to go live with my my dad, who was not Christian and who didn't take me to church, I still had that seed planted in me from my mother. And all throughout my life, all the different transitions I made, um, you know what I mean? Like it it stuck with me. Her getting baptized and me seeing that stuck with me. And her actual death itself. Um, it definitely impacted me, but I think I was young. Like, I, I really feel for people who who have spent their whole lives with their loved ones, their parents or grandparents, or whatever, and then to lose the person. I can imagine that being even more devastating because they've had so many years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas me, I was seven years old. It definitely affected me, but, you know, I was seven years old, and I don't think I really, really understood the loss until years later. 
I suppose we can't really talk about Toronto hip-hop without bringing up the name Drake. (laughs) Do you think his popularity could actually be putting a shadow over other artists in the city? Um, I actually think that Drake's success and everything that he's doing has actually helped put a spotlight on Toronto, even in the Christian market, because I remember going to the States and performing and people would compliment me and be like, oh man, that, like you sound dope. Where are you from? And I would say Toronto and they would say Canada and they wouldn't want to hear it because they didn't have any respect because hip hop by nature is supposed to be kind of street and, you know, kind of urban and kind of dangerous. And people don't think of Canada as being like that. So when I would say I'm a Canadian rapper, they would they would kind of laugh. Um, now I go to the States or I go anywhere and I say I'm from Toronto and they're like super excited. All of that is really stemming from what Drake and uh, others, but especially what Drake has done as far as um, kind of, you know, kind of shining a spotlight on the city. Well, you bring a different view into Canadian hip hop by sharing your faith in your music. There really aren't many Christian Canadian hip hop artists. So does that ever make you feel like you're an outcast? Um, it makes me feel the weight of the responsibility. <laughs> uh, there are some, some people who are up and coming, but I'm definitely, I definitely realize that God is giving me a pretty big platform as compared to other artists from Toronto who are doing what I do. So I don't take that for granted. Um, I try to support the other guys who are kind of coming up and show them that I support them and try to lead by example. Um, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, the only Christian rapper I can think of from Toronto or Canada that has done more or as far as I know, bigger than me is manifest Mm -hmm. for a lot of years. People didn't even realize that he was from here because he was in LA and he didn't really make it well known that he was from here. Right. Um, but aside from him, I would say that I, I'm probably the most notable one. And and I realized that that's, uh, that comes with a, you know, a lot of responsibility. So I try to represent Christ and represent Canada the best I can. And now Manifest is back home in the GTA. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Isn't he from Peterborough? He is from Pickering. Pickering. That's what it is. Okay, Pickering. But he had that connection with Thousand Foot Crutch, which is out of Peterborough. Yeah. Okay. I think really what you've got going for you is that you're a brilliant lyricist and storyteller. Oh, wow. Thanks. You really hear that on Running Man. You use this really cute play on names, but I got to get you to explain. Yeah, I mean, Running Man is my, till this day, it's still my my benchmark, I feel, uh, as far as like lyrically ends. Because one thing I appreciate is when rappers, especially when they're trying to give a message, like the Christian message, when they get creative and use wordplay and, um, you know, don't just say the message plainly, but try to find a way to say, to get the message across in in a very clever lyrical way. So. With Running Man, you know, I use like Lucy for Lucifer, and then I use, uh, what did I use? I use Cindy for Sin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love of, that. Yeah. And I kind of painted a picture of Cindy being the daughter of Lucifer, you know, trying to deceive us. And, and I kind of likened it to going on a date with Cindy and Cindy trying to slip you a pill and just, you know, like I kind of tried to get very clever with all of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> Well, that's why we have to get into your songwriting. Here it is in three years, you've brought out three releases. You had 2016 with Imperfect Messenger. 2017 had the good album. 
and this year came in God's good time. Is creating really as easy as you want to make it seem? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not going to downplay it because I don't want to seem like, oh, yeah, it's so easy. But and that's the reason why I feel like I'm called to do it, because it comes very natural. So so I won't say it's easy because the main constraint is really time. If I if I was like, if I didn't have to work like I still work a job, if I didn't have to then you'd get even more music than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, you know, but of course I got to pace myself. I can't just throw a bunch of music out. I have to be very strategic. But um, as far as creating the music, I, I actually have to slow myself down. I don't have any problem with, oh, I got to make something. I, it's very easy for me to create music. I would say, in a nutshell, I would say, I don't want to make it look too easy, but it kind of kind of comes a little, a little easy to me because uh, I enjoy it so much and I believe that God called me to do it. We spoke about Drake there's also big names in Christian hip-hop, like Show Baraka, Tripoli, Cannon, Propaganda, and of course, Lecrae. The yep. thing is, they're all from the States. So how do you deal with that as a Canadian artist? Like, do you have to jump the border to make an impact? Uh, I would definitely say that the same kind of unspoken rule that applies in the mainstream applies in the Christian market, which is you got to kind of go to the States to get the approval of the people over there. And then when you come back home, you kind of, the people here are kind of like, hey, he's our guy, you know? <laughs> so it's just. <laughs> or you come back and they think you're American. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's just the way it goes. You kind of got to just go south first. Um, so, so from my experience, yes, I definitely started to get more love in Canada after I made some, some noise in, in, you know, south of the border. Um, a lot of those people that you that you named, I've I've had the, the the pleasure and honor of calling some of them friends, just uh, recording with a couple of them, and just you know being um, in the same spaces as some of them. So it definitely helped as far as the image of me being, wow, Drew, you know, one of our guys made it when I come back here. So that's just the way it is. Something that I really enjoy about the music of Drew Backs is that it's honest. Thank you. I mean, it's all about faith, but you're not afraid to open up and say that sometimes you slip, like yeah. on the track Gotta Go from In God's Good Time. Yeah. Is it difficult to be honest? Um, I think it would be more difficult if I didn't have a wife that was very understanding of my mission. I think if she was offended or if she was like, oh, don't put our business out there or don't put your business out there or whatever, it would make it more difficult to be honest. Mm -hmm. But me... Having that support definitely allows me to, to be honest with the listeners. And um, that's the way I write. I mean, for me, I, I like to hear that from other artists. So I can't imagine writing in a, in a dishonest way or writing in a very surface way. I have to get deep with my lyrics. That's just part of you know how I approach the music. You mentioned earlier about working full time and doing the music. Does your wife ever actually see you? <laughs> <laughs> um. That's an ongoing uh, struggle, finding time. Uh, like, for example, today, today's actually one of my couple days off um, in the week, and we were supposed to go spend the family day at the park, but of course the weather isn't, isn't really helping out with that. And um, yeah, that, that's an ongoing struggle that I'm still working on. And of course, as my career um, gets more and more, you know, as God keeps bringing the blessings, um, I'm spending more time on the road and away from home. So that's just something that Still working through. <laughs> Earlier on, I called the hip-hop scene a game, and I guess that was poorly put. 
what I should be asking is, is hip-hop fun for you, or is this something you felt driven to do? Um, it's definitely fun. There are times when it crosses over into, okay, this is work now because i got to deliver certain things within a certain time. But I would definitely say it's fun, yeah. Like, when it stops being fun, I think that's when I'll put the microphone down, to be honest. Unless God says, no, I want you to keep doing it, but I can't see him doing that when it's no longer fun, so... We'll see. In God's Good Time includes the track, Maybe Then. It speaks about the expectations we have in our lives. What's the goal for Drew Bax? Um, so in that particular song, Maybe Then, I definitely painted a picture that is a little loftier than like, like what I really, like I'm not expecting that. I don't expect to have a house in, in the, you know, like have a mansion in the Hidden Hills and all of that. If, if that happens, then hey, that's, that's amazing. I'll take it. But um, for me, my expectations are to be able to do this on a level where I don't have to work a full-time job or a job at all, where this can be my, my main source of income, but always with the mission at the forefront of my mind. At the end of the day, it's not about making the money. I need the money because we need money to survive and to take care of our families. But at the end of the day, success to me would be to be able to do this, um, win souls, you know, reach people's hearts but still be able to make enough from it that I can take care of my family and the ones close to me and so on. So that's, that's what I hope will happen, and um, that's what we're working towards. And you don't have any expectations of getting a 45-foot transport like Lecrae uses when he's on tour? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I won't put it in the expectations category. I'll put it in the, uh, hey, if that happens, that'd be cool category, you know? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how one guy needs that to put on a show. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not on his level, so I, I can't fathom it right now. Oh, maybe he just brings a lot of shoes with him when he's on tour. <laughs> <laughs> Might be that. <laughs> you know, I often ask guests who come to The Antidote about the difference between being on a label versus staying independent. You've spent the past few years on role model records. Now you've plunged back into the independent scene. Was that a tough decision to make? Um, it was. It was because it was, like you said, I've been, I've been used to being on a label for the past uh, four years or so. So, you know, making any change like that is scary, um, especially on the financial side of things. Because one of the things that I benefited from being on a label was the, you know, financially the label pays for everything. So now it's like I got to take care of things myself and I have to, if I want a video, I have to pay for it myself. But the good thing is the returns that come back also go to me, right? Whereas being on the label, a huge percentage of it goes to the label. So we'll see. I'm, um, it's a fairly new situation. Um, I have a great manager in Andre. So together, I think we're, we're going to be fine. And I'm excited to see what, you know, what happens. So then, is your career path up in the air, or are you making any specific plans? Um, we have we have short term plans. We have short term goals that we're striving towards, um, and we're putting the pieces in place to accomplish those short term goals. As far as the long term, we have some some ideas of where we want to be, but we're still working on how exactly to get there. Well, along with that move, you've dropped your new single, "No Exit." Can you yeah. share about it? Yeah, so No Exit literally, <laughs> the whole idea for that literally came about when I was going for a morning jog. 
and I was going to make a turn on a street and it said no exit. So I was like, okay, I don't want to go down that street because I'm going to have to just, you know, come back out. But um, I saw the sign and I was like, hey, and, and that kind of started making me think about just my career and my life and my, my faith and how I'm at a, a point in my life where there's no turning back. Like everything I do, I'm going in as if there's no exit. I'm going in full force, not looking back. I'm going in fully expecting to not come back out the way that I went in. So um, that's where the whole concept came from. And then, yeah, from there, the song just came about. And it's, uh, you know, talking about my music, you know, I'm, I'm going full force with that. And then talking about my faith and uh, talking about me being a family man, there's no exit from any of that. So, yeah. I'm going to put you on the roaster over the flames <laughs> and ask you a tough one. What dominates? Is it family? Is it faith? Is it your career? Um... The answer, if I'm giving the honest answer, I would say that I'm actively trying to find the balance because oftentimes, if I just let things go unchecked, the music will always kind of rise to the top. Um, and, and that's not how it's supposed to be because obviously the faith is the most important thing and the family is, you know, like more important. But if I just let things go unchecked and whenever I do let things go unchecked, the music always finds a way to kind of float to the top. So that's why I'm, I'm actively trying to set boundaries and uh, make it not like that, you know, because I think that there needs to be a healthy balance. I, I'm not saying music should be at the bottom because it is a mission that God gave me, but there needs to be a healthy balance. And right now I would say it's a little unbalanced. It is a little unbalanced. Thanks for being real and honest. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, this has been excellent. Thanks so much for coming on The Antidote. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.